you're following along in your Bibles, and we're going to be in Mark 11. The and we will be in Psalm 118 if you like to do the finger thing and, and get your uh, self ready. And if and if you use your phones, that's fine. And remember, we're Grace Church, so if it goes off, we'll just look at you kind of funny, and we'll move on, right? That's Usually what happens if I say something derogatory about that, then something goes off that I'm using, and that humbles one fairly quickly. So, so we're just going gonna to read through the first uh, 11 verses here of this. This is, uh, remember what we've been doing, because Mark does it, and, and all the Gospels do it to some extent, but uh, we've got... Uh, the last week here, and, and we're trying to figure out who is Jesus. That's what the disciples are trying to figure out, and what Mark does really well is just kind of take us by the hand and show where they are. So we've get, we'll get a lot of his disciples here, and you, we'll get a little bit of a taste of exactly what and who they saw him as. And, and what happens a lot of times in life, and certainly in the Gospels, and I think it happens in our own lives, is we get pieces of who Jesus is correct, but we don't really get the whole picture. Uh, and sometimes that takes some time and sometimes effort. Uh, but so this is the, what we call the triumphal entry. So we're in the last week of his life. Uh, well, that's not really right, is it? Because it, it continues. Earthly life or pre-crucifixion, we'll go with that. Um, and remember, the, the, and we, Zechariah 9, and, well, 7, 8, 9, 10 has a lot of good prophecy in it. Um, this one is very overt. You know, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout. Uh, in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So given that, let's go with verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, who is, who, why, would be a better way to put that. Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has a need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told, told them that Jesus had said and let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and drew their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, and they went, had cut from the fields. And those who went before them and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this is one of those texts that we think we know really well. And I, you probably know that if you're a student of the Bible at all. Just when you think you know something well, you read it again, you're like, oh, there's something more here than I thought. And a lot of that, I think, be comes because of where we are in our own lives. Uh, we realize any literature can really touch you. Like I was talking with the kids, you know, there's things in Tolkien's writings or C.S. Lewis or maybe other writers that you really like and they can touch you, and you can read them another time, and it might touch you in even different ways. But how much more Scripture, which has is, is authored by the Spirit and given to us 
by God so that we can know him better, you're going to get touched probably in different ways depending on where you are. Uh, verse 2 is interesting. He's given this information. Um, he may refer to an arrangement that's already been made. You know, maybe, you know, they had that at uh, Olive Garden for a while, call ahead seating. You know, maybe this is, you know, he called ahead and said, you know, some people are coming, get the colt, you know, don't bother them. Um, or, you know, maybe it was some sort of supernatural insight, you know. Um, you can go either way on that if you want. And if we, if you come to one of my Bible studies, we'll spend 30 minutes deciding which one we think it is. Probably coming away not knowing, but it's still kind of neat to know. Uh, it's, it's in that theology of Jesus being fully, truly God and truly man. And that's one of the hardest things to do. The two hardest theologies in all of the world are Jesus' two natures and the Trinity, the tri Yahweh. That's hard. Why do we believe those? It's the best explanation for the text. That's pretty blunt, but that's it. I would not walk around thinking this one person in all the history of the world was fully God and fully man. I, I, I can't get my mind around that. I, I'd probably bring it down a bit where I can understand it better. But that's how he reveals himself. It's how the Father reveals him. Um, and then the same with the Trinity. Why? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three centers of consciousness. It's the best explanation for the text. If you can improve on that, let me know. Nobody's done it yet, but it's the way God reveals himself. So maybe this was supernatural insight. Maybe this was, uh, you know, something, maybe both. I don't know. They put their cloaks and their branches uh, on the ground, which is not something that we normally do. We usually just wait for people to throw candy at us. Um, but this is, they do a little bit different. Uh, this was kind of a king thing. This would be, uh, you have this back in Second Kings, it's kind of, they do almost exactly the same thing uh, for a king. But, it, you know, when they enter the capital, it's the way you did it. It would be similar to like rolling out a red carpet for somebody, uh, you know, at an airport. That would be the best I think we would have now. It's an honor thing. You do that for kings. And, uh, and then verses 9 and 10 are direct quotes from this psalm uh, that we're going to look at uh, so if you, you want to go there, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be very articulate when I read it if you're not there. But Psalm 118 uh, is clearly what we call a messianic psalm. Remember the word term Messiah is the Old Testament Hebrew word for the anointed one that was prophesied to come. And Zechariah 9 is one of those prophecies. Uh, Isaiah 53 is one of those for Psalm 22. Psalm 118 is certainly one uh, that is like that. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because 19 through 27, but it starts out, I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Uh, and it goes on and let the, you know, it's, it, it looks like it probably was a responsive chorus of, so let the Israel say his steadfast love, love endures forever. And then let the house of Aaron say. And so it's probably something they sang a lot and often probably sang it on the way to Jerusalem for the festivals. So it'd be on their lips. It'd be kind of like, uh, I guess the best we could do is, you know, a, a top 40 song that just catches our, 
our ear and we keep singing. Uh, so if you want to go just down to verse 19, um, open to me the gates of righteousness. This is messianic because the Messiah was supposed to be able to help open things to, to Yahweh. Um, that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. That's, that's kind of where we're starting. And it's messianic. What, what does that mean as far as covenant? Because we have the old covenant of Abraham, which promised the people of God both land and progenity, kids. We have the Mosaic covenant, which says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and this is how you're supposed to act and, and, and feel and do and this is how you get close to me, and if you mess up, there's these sacrifices. It's a really cool system. And then you have the Davidic covenant, which you find in Second Samuel. And there it says, and your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this was this idea. I think everybody knew that David was not going to live forever. And then I don't know if you knew, know your biblical history on the kings and the uh, after Solomon was wise sometimes, um, uh, he had a little bit of uh, some domestic disputes, let's say. Um, and when he dies, the kingdom splits and then he, and you just get, I think the term is a royal mess. Um, and if you read through, you know, especially Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then the the similar types of texts in First and Second Chronicles. This just didn't go very well. Um, the kings were usually not very uh, godlike. Uh, so this promise was something later, and you see that. And so that's what we're so that's what they're waiting for. We've talked about that. You know, you you, you think about John four. You know, you go back to the woman at the well, and she's Samaritan, and they're having a little discussion about which one's the better to follow, the where they're wor worshiping at Shechem or back in Jerusalem. And Jesus eventually says, I know the Messiah is coming. Then, then he'll put all things right. And Jesus says, that's me, very clearly. You know, that they knew they were ready for him to come. It's just what kind of a Messiah are we looking for? That's been the problem. We had that a couple weeks ago with, you know, are they looking for someone to take over the kingdom of Rome, get Israel back its land, and then we can start acting like Yahweh is the one we follow? Or is there something different? And Jesus obviously comes in, I, and focuses on something completely different, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't come to overtake Rome. Mm, not yet. He will. His kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just read Revelation 21. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth where there's no evil. So Pilate's gone, right? Oh, whatever, you know. Romans, anybody against God is gone. So when you look at this, it talks of this, you know, open the gates of righteousness. Well, what is that? You know, you think about Jesus. Why does he use the terms that he does? You know, you go back to John 10. He says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go, and they'll go freely and have good pasture. So I am the gate. Why that? You know, that's a neat metaphor. Sometimes it gets translated, I am the door. We do realize that that's metaphor, right? Jesus isn't made of, like, laminate, right? 
or wrought iron, whatever your gates are made out of. But you, you wonder, is, is he thinking about this? What, what does a gate or a door give you? It gives you access. If it's locked, you can't get in. And he's the one that opens it. And he goes into John 10 saying, you can try to get ways people have tried. not going to work. Because there's only one gate. There's only one door. So that's probably in the background. Then you get verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is obviously the psalmist. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That one gets a lot of press in the New Testament. Jesus actually uses this for himself. He will in a few weeks. Um, as you read through this, I, I could see as a, you know, a 10th century B.C. Uh, follower of Yahweh that this might not be as pointed, but boy, if you look through the eyes of the New Testament, this looks like, wow, this is really cool. Because that's exactly what happened. You know, the, the stone that the builders rejected, you know, the one, you know, that's what we've been you think about, we talked about a lot theologically that his death is what gives us access, but why did he have to die in the place? And why did they want to kill him? Because they rejected him. They're, they're, he wasn't what, who they wanted. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's not like, well, let's get somebody, let's train them well, and then we're going to take Rome. No, this is the Lord's doing. In fact, it's so much the Lord's doing, it didn't happen anywhere near what most people wanted or thought. Uh, he's the one that brings the salvation. And then verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I think you can go ahead and believe that generally. I don't think it's a bad one. It's, it, it, you know, it's on, it, that's, that's true. It, it, today was the day that he made and we got another hour of sleep. Pretty cool, right? You know, but, that's not really what that's talking about. You realize that? What's the day talked about here? It's the day the gate gets opened. It's the day the Messiah comes. It's the day that everything changes. This is, a, this is that day. This is what we call the Lord's Day, which is either the, the coolest thing that you'll ever be a part of or the most scary thing that you'll ever see. You either... Jesus said it, you're either with me or against me. If you're with him, this is a good day. This is a good day. And, and for most of us, I guess that day, you know, kind of practically is when we die, right? That's when we probably get to see more clearly. Um, the ultimate day they're talking about here is the first coming, and then I think by extension the second. Um, kind of a two-stage thing there. But most for most of us, the day of salvation is when we believe and when we ne get to see that. Right now, we see through a glass darkly. We walk by faith, not sight. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, well, you didn't have to know that, but I fig figure some of you did. Um, but when you die in the Lord, then you get to see. You know, we, we just had someone in our congregation pass away uh, this week. We had a, their, her funeral on Thursday. It was Pat Holly, uh, someone who knew her Lord very well. And I, we, we talked about it at the memorial service, you know, but now it's like, you know, I wonder what she saw, you know. Um, well, kind of back to 23, this is marvelous in our eyes. That's kind of, yeah. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Don't just take that as, oh, yeah, the trees look good and the, you know, the, the corn looks good, which is good. We've been praying for that. But it's the idea that the time of Jesus when the access to God's salvation comes. This is the made possible by him. This, the Lord has made it. It would be there if he didn't do it. Um, you can't orchestrate your own salvation. It's kind of, and that's that's the the next verse that they come into. But we may rejoice and be glad in it. And actually, ironically, and I wrote this long before Pat passed away, but it just happened to use this verse for her memorial. But this is a a really good verse. You know, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access. There's that word. By faith and the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A lot of words in there, but it really comes down to the access comes from the gate here. Um, isn't it interesting how many different ways they say that? I don't know if you knew it. There's seven I am's in, in John, but they're all very Yahweh-like. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. There's all those I am's, and you go back, where do they come from? They're all Yahweh in the Old Testament. One of my favorites is in Ezekiel 34 and 35. He comes, the, the, the shepherds, the leaders of, they're called shepherds metaphorically in there, the leaders of the people are not following God. Like I said, You've got, when in the divided kingdom in Judah, the southern kingdom, you had a few good kings. And since this is a shepherd metaphor, on the, in the northern kingdom, they were all bad. <laughs> Every one of them. <laughs> Not one good king in the whole lot. You know, it's just, it's just a, amazing how that comes in. So the shepherds were bad, and then in Ezekiel 34 and 35, God says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to be your shepherd, because I am going to be good. And I've always been good. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the good. It's another Yahweh claim. He keeps doing that. He keeps doing that. The only thing that makes sense is that he's, he's Yahweh in some ways. So, And then 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. We'll look at what exactly how that looks and what they were saying. But when you get into 26b, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. It, you know, it anticipates the coming of the Messiah to the temple. The Messiah is going to come to the temple. You, you get in Zechariah too, and it's like, oh, okay, when the Messiah comes to the temple, well, he's going to go there, but he's kind of already been there. He was there back in John 2. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. Kind of interesting. They said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his, his body. Huh. Almost seems like communion a little bit, doesn't it? Hmm. Never, I really, I'm not even play acting here. I didn't really think about that. But should have put that in. It's pretty good. 
uh, you know, you do these sermons ahead of time, and you never know if they'll fall on communion or not, you know. But, uh, but that's, the, and then 27 is it the Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. But the next, bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Why would you do that? Because in the Old Covenant, you had to sacrifice something and show that you're truly, and that's how you had access to God. And here we have them singing a psalm less than a week before they're going to bind him and kill him as a sacrifice. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he gave us his psalm, isn't it? Yeah, it really is cool. And then 27, you know, with, with that... It references with joy an old covenant sacrifice that gave temporary peace. And that's the difference. It's temporary because Hebrews says that every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins permanently. But when Christ has offered for a time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So that's the difference. The, the Old Testament sacrifices was a shadow, a pointer to the final sacrifice. And the temple was a shadow of the sun that was going to come. Temple gave you access in some ways. But only a few could do that. In fact, the, the Holy of Holies, only one person could go in there once a year. And now... And here's your assignment. I know you wanted one. Today, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You don't have to, because the sacrifice has been done. And if you trust, he's always open to you. Avail yourself of that. It's really kind of a neat thing. So the triumphal entry takes place at the beginning of this, this Passover week. And it recalls what it was for, the, the people's liberation from Egyptian slavery. That's a lot of what they came back on. They, you know, we're, we're free. We're free of this. It's a big deal. But where do we get this Hosanna thing? Well, that was back in verse 25. Hosha means to save or deliver. And na means now or we pray so you translate it into Greek, it's Hoshana or Hosanna. Save us, we pray. Save us now. It's an immediate word, too. Hebrew's kind of a fun language to know, because I love that word, nah. It's just so, you know, just nah. Yeah. When do you want to do it, nah? Yeah. Reminds me of a song. Na, na, na. No, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> but now, yeah. Uh, but Hosanna, that's what, that's what they're saying. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The pilgrims are anticipating the messianic liberation from Rome's oppression. They got it right, though. They know he's the Messiah. And we can do that, too. People could say, you know, I know Jesus is, is important. I know he's, he's, he's the one I should follow. But how well do we really know what he wants us to do? How would one know that? It'd almost be, it'd really be nice if, 
if we got some information from Jesus to tell us what to do. Wouldn't that be cool? If we had, you know, maybe a pseudo-biography or something? It'd be kind of cool. They wrote all this stuff. I remember doing, you, you guys are catching on quick, but I remember doing this with a bunch of junior high kids. And they're like, yeah, that'd be cool. Then they keep going. Wouldn't it be neat if we knew exactly how we're supposed to follow and what Jesus, everything he needs to need to know, if it was all written down, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, read your Bible. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, yeah. But we don't always look at it that way, do we? Is it, is it a, is reading your Bible a blessing or a task? Maybe a little both sometimes, but remember, we, we, you you know this if you've been here. Why do you read your Bible? I think you should always answer to get to know God better, which will help you get to know you better, which will help you with your purpose in life, and will help you how to treat others and how to respond back. It's always a good start. But it wasn't Rome that was defeated, but Satan, sin, and death. You know, you look, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he does that at first by reconciling us to the Father, by obliterating the things that make us enemies of his, the sin and the evil, eventually completely obliterating it. And you can read Revelation 20 through 22. Uh, and yes, I will give you an extra point if you do that. And then verse 11. Uh, Jesus looks around in the temple. He comes into the temple. He, here's a handy-dandy map of a kind of an aerial view. Here's your temple here. Um, this is uh, Bethany, Bethphage, Garden of Gethsemane. Temp so he, he kind of came in. And then, of course, you have to do the, then you get in. So he comes into the temple that way. So he's there, and there's a lot of prophecy about coming into the temple. And what's he going to do? You know, what's he going to do there? What did he do earlier in John 2? Yeah, he, he, he kind of messed with them a little bit. Um, stay tuned. <laughs> he's looking around at everything. He's just kind of assessing it. I don't know. You know, what did he see, you think? It doesn't say here. Uh, we'll find out. Um, did he see true worshipers of God? You know, that's what the temple was for. You know, it's a house of prayer, which includes sacrifice. Were they humbly praying then? Were they? There was even a place for people who weren't Jewish to pray. It's called the Court of Gentiles. See, diligent study of Scripture. Like you're really getting into this stuff. You know, like you guys are right now. Right, deep Bible study. Did they see obedient, heartfelt sacrifice and service? You know, really, you know, um, unfortunately, we're going to find out he's that. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I can move over to this. But this thing is, I'm... You know, I was reading through Luke, and Jesus' mic never had near as much of this problem as mine did. But thank you. There. Can you hear me now? You got to turn it on, right? Hello. Yeah, that's good. I like that. All right. 
Let's start over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pastor's ploy, how to speak for 50 minutes when you're only given 30. <laughs> yeah, it might be dark when we get out if we do that. So, so he doesn't see this. He doesn't see, and, and, but he doesn't act yet. We, we talked about that a little bit in our Bible study today. You know, God was patient a lot longer. I mean, he, he does do something, and he doesn't even destroy these people, even though maybe they needed it. He didn't do anything, but next week we'll look into what he does do in the temple. And then he goes off to Bethany, and uh, it's a short distance from there. If you walk now from the temple mound to over there, it's, you know, it probably take you about 20 minutes, uh, maybe half hour to get the outskirts. But And then it's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So when you hear about Gethsemane and the Mount, there's, it seems like he's going back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem a lot when he's in that area. And I like this scholarship that says it's most likely because that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and that's where he hung out when he was there. I think there's a lot of good reason to think that. Um, you can see that in John 12 a little bit more overtly. But he's kind of going back. He's going to go think about things. So he comes into Jerusalem and observes, and he's ready to celebrate this Passover, which is, is a week long with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he comes fulfilling the prophecy and accepting the Messianic identity. Remember in other Gospels it says, tell him to be quiet. And Jesus says, even the rocks will cry out. I'm the Messiah they're talking about. It wasn't that they didn't get that right. You know, we're still trying to get the identity of Jesus. It's not that they didn't know he's the Messiah. They didn't know what the Messiah was. Why was he coming? It's going to take his crucifixion, his resurrection, for true followers to understand the greater cosmic purpose that salvation through the Messiah comes, not just temporal salvation of earthly things and no oppression, but access to God, being righteous in his eyes, which we've talked about with the Lord's Supper. Through his once and final sacrifice, he has become the salvation, which is what Psalm 118 says. So it is, it's in knowing this salvation, that's what we have to get right, because it's out there, right? Lots of people like Jesus. Which Jesus are you following? Is it the one that's real, that's revealed in his word, or is it one of your own making? You know, if we really understand what he did, think about it, really. You know, if Jesus did have just come to just make the Romans go away, well, there's always going to be more Romans. There's always going to be more wars and rumors of wars. But if he takes care of your identity and changes you from one who is a children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2, to a child of God, then, then everything takes care of itself after that. And then we can rejoice and be glad in that. Let us pray. Father, as we finish with our uh, last worship song, we, we know that uh, you are always, always gracious and willing to hear our prayers because Jesus has given us access to that. May we always remember that when we worship, we are responding to who you are in your word and 
when we study, we are trying to understand who you are and get to know you better. And when we pray, we, we realize that what a privilege it is to lift up our voices to you. So as we continue to do that, may we remember that we can rejoice and be glad in the day when the Messiah came, but every day can be a rejoicing day because we have you as our Father and your Son as our Advocate. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.